This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Seek a licensed professional for investment advice about crypto or any other investment. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Blazing Crypto Podcast. We are Justin and Brandon, and today we're excited to talk about the asset that has gone up an average of 200% per year. The asset that confuses politicians and also makes them sweat. It's also the asset that countries are actively pursuing the use of volcano energy in order to mine it. Uh, of course, we're talking about the crypto OG. We're talking about Bitcoin. So, Justin, as we launch into this discussion, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, I, am, I am fully healthy again. I know a lot of us were sick. I am feeling back to normal, which is a very good feeling. It felt there for a while that I was never going to feel normal again. <laughs> I'd like to point out that there might be some correlation between the Bitcoin <laughs> price movement and your overall health. And I'm not yeah. a doctor. Specifically uh, my I... congestion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, today, you know, again, we're talking about Bitcoin um, in our core four. Ethereum was the queen. We talked about that last episode, the case for Ethereum. And today we're talking about the king, the king of crypto, uh, Bitcoin. So uh, we want to understand why it's the top dog um, and why you shouldn't sleep on uh, on Bitcoin. So let's get let's get going right here at the gate. Um, you know, we just came through the holidays. Uh, there's this common phenomena of a group of young people, smart people, older people get in the same room and inevitably Bitcoin comes up. And there's a question that always surfaces where everyone just sort of goes, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and the question is this. So what exactly is Bitcoin? Justin, help us out. So my my answer might be a little too strong for some people, but I like to say it's perfect money. Um, the the perfect the word perfect is very strong there, but it's perfect money. It's a digital currency. Um, those two things are probably the most, I guess, like the answers I would pick anyway. Yeah, one thing I like to point out that is interesting to me at least, and it was one of the, the first things that really captured my attention, is that Bitcoin was the first ever asset to combine tech and finance into one, into one thing. Uh, and I think that makes it uh, really important. So let's talk about why Bitcoin has value. Uh, is this simply just a speculative asset in a bubble? Yeah, I think there's there can be like good assets that are in a bubble so like if you zoom out and you look at like bitcoin's life cycle i mean it would be accurate to call bitcoin a bubble at like three or four points because it's just like it's just going up at a crazy rate and people are buying it um in very like bubble-esque i guess you could say uh a bubble-esque environment. But the funny thing uh, that I usually tell people around that is like, yeah, bubbles don't last a decade and they don't keep coming back stronger and stronger. Um, you know, so there's, there's, there's similarities between Bitcoin's price action and a bubble at certain times. Um, and I think that's fair to, to call it that sometimes, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's just growing very aggressively 
because of its innovation. So I think sometimes bubble, a lot of people have different definitions about what they mean by the word bubble. Uh, and I think that can cause a lot of confusion. So sometimes people in, in an effort to understand it, they'll say, oh, like, you know, is this just a group of people that have decided that they wanted to go after Bitcoin? Is it is it is it basically like digital Beanie Babies, right? Where they're, I mean, you know, people would stand in line for Beanie Babies for hours on end. They would put them on their shelves. They would talk about all the air quotes equity they had in Beanie Babies. Yeah. Is Bitcoin <laughs> just basically digital stuffed animals? I so yeah I I would actually I'm gonna get I wanted to get your thoughts on this after I I say a few things because I know you've had some good uh, uh, comments on it in the past when we've talked so no it's not Beanie Babies so there's similarities to Beanie Babies I'm relieved uh, and no it's not Beanie Babies right like everything's on a spectrum I guess the like there's this aspect of it that people say, Oh, it's speculative or it's like beanie babies because it's like, they would say Bitcoin isn't a company that has a balance sheet, you know, that you can use fundamental analysis to say, Oh, this, this stock is undervalued or overvalued based on, you know, what they're producing and all of that. So Bitcoin is based on what the market says it's, you know, valued at that, that that's how it retains its value essentially. Um, and so a lot of people don't like that. They call that speculative. They say, okay, that's the same thing as Beanie Babies. People just say it's valuable um, and it's it's whatever value they think it is. Um, and I would actually argue that a lot of things that people trust as very valuable um, that are not Beanie Babies at all are very much like that. You know, like a lot of the things, the assets in the world – they're valuable because the world decided it was valuable, right? So in one sense, a lot of things are like Beanie Babies, but I would tell you that the blockchain network produces a lot more value to the world than Beanie Babies ever did, right? So I, mean, I can see both sides of the argument. Yeah, as I've gotten into discussions, uh, good discussions with friends, you know, family members, uh, people, networking colleagues that I meet with, and, and the topic comes up. What's really interesting is, frankly, even people that don't understand the technology, I find ask a lot of really good questions, like really core, fundamental, uh, strong questions, like what you just said, right? Like what, how is how is Bitcoin different from sort of the dot com crash of the late the late nineties coming into the year two thousand, right? Like how how is this different? Um, how is this? You know, and they, they ask a lot of questions basically because I think in part Bitcoin is invisible. You know, it, it's software; it runs on the internet. You don't you don't see it, um, and it makes you ask a lot of good questions. Funny thing happened. I have a an older relative that has been in banking and finance uh, his entire career, and the topic came up actually uh, over the holidays, and and he. He, he was trying to get his this get his mind around he's like so when you send like when you send bitcoin like what are you what are you sending um you know and i was trying to explain it to him and then i, I kind of backed up and i said okay i said you know all right when from a currency standpoint when you go to the grocery store and you transact and you buy your groceries did any money did any money actually change hands the answer is no well no, no physical money uh, changes hands. And frankly, yeah. 
the way that that transaction gets settled, not to be too technical, one bank is not sending dollar bills over to another bank, right? It's just it's just adjusted on a ledger, and it takes an extraordinarily long amount of time. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, like in one sense, the questions we ask about Bitcoin, like you said, sort of reveal the fact that we really don't understand currency to begin with. And we almost, it's almost like we don't really understand what drives value in other assets either, right? Like it's easy to poke, poke fun of, oh, like you invested in baseball cards. Like that's just ink printed on paper, right? We can sort of reduce uh, or, you know, you, you invested in a frame piece of art and you think, you know, that's going to keep pace with the market. And a lot of those things have, but like you said, for fundamental reasons or just because as a society... You know, if somebody if somebody wants it and there's not a lot of it and more people want it than there are quantity available, then typically those things go up in value. Yep. I like to also on that note highlight um I think there's a lot of differences in the the reasons that people are would buy Bitcoin or a stock or land versus a beanie baby, right? Like and like I said, it is a spectrum, uh, but I think a lot of the reasoning behind it kind of highlights where the value is coming from, um, from the yeah. asset. For sure. Also, you know, to be fair, this is a bit anecdotal, uh, but, you know, Fortune 50 companies uh, were, not, were not taking out uh, Beanie Baby acquisitions to add to their treasury uh, <laughs> in the year 1997 or 2001. Uh, they were not buying the entire retired collection. So we don't, yeah, we don't think about Bitcoin as digital beanie babies, but we sort of prop that up as just a funny way to explain uh, how things, how certain things have value that's different than other, than other things. Uh, jumping to a different thought here, um, you know the story, Justin. Uh, somebody asked me one time, basically they were like, "Hey, I heard Bitcoin was open source, which just means the code isn't proprietary. Really, anyone has access to the code." They were like, why would I invest in something that someone could simply copy and paste and, and sort of relaunch another Bitcoin, call it Bitcoin 3 or Bitcoin 2? Or why would I invest in something that's open source? Doesn't it just mean someone can just create another Bitcoin and now there's there's two of them? Yeah, and the reality is anybody can do that. Like today I can go, I can, you know, I can copy the Bitcoin code start my own blockchain um and that's what we're really getting into right here is first mover advantage because and and highlighting the value of the network those are two things so what i would still be missing even if i had the code one i've got to go convince the whole world that my bitcoin is better than the one that you know passed a trillion dollar market cap this year um and I've got to convince them to move all of their funds over. Hey, buy my Bitcoin instead. So that's obviously a lot harder than simply copying some co uh, some code. So, I, and and the person, you know, people aren't going to do that, right? Because of the network size, because of the, you know, the safety of Bitcoin's network now uh, is a lot stronger than it was a decade ago, or you know three weeks after it officially launched, right? So as the network has grown over time, it becomes um, safer and more stable for, you know, worldwide adoption versus uh, copying the code. 
yeah, you have the code, but there's a lot more to it than just the code, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's sort of a simplistic way. It's like yeah, thinking about the value of Bitcoin only as its sort of base utility and what it and what it does. We, I think we mentioned this on either the Ethereum or Solana episode. I don't remember which one. But a lot of times what drives you know, tech valuation, especially think about things like social networks, is not necessarily the functionality of what the, net, the, the tool does. It, it's not that Facebook does something that no one else can do. It's the fact that they have all the users and all those users are creating content, which then they leverage that for ads and other things. The value is in the network. And actually, even the way the thing ought to be um, valued from a, from, a, from a financial standpoint is actually based on the value of the network. And that is not something that you can copy. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a, one thing we, we often hear. And again, th- those are great questions because what they do is they drive us towards a, a deeper, more core understanding of why do things have value to begin with and why, why does Bitcoin have value and what kind of value does it have? So, Justin, there are there are three key terms, and, and, and part of the purpose of this episode is to try to not get into, you know, all the complexity of hash rate and mining and, and sort of very, very, very techy stuff that even, you know, I can only scratch the surface to, to fully understand and comprehend. There are three key terms that, that we think everyone should understand because they actually do speak to Bitcoin's value and its uniqueness and really its place on the spectrum of crypto, tech assets, finance, et cetera, even currency. Um, so let's paddle through those key, those key ideas, those key terms. So the first one is fixed supply. And we're referring there to the fact that Bitcoin has a fixed supply in the code, pre-programmed, uh, there will only ever be a certain amount of Bitcoin created. So, Justin, talk talk about that and tell us wh- why that actually matters. I think of the first thing uh, is, I think the reaction that people usually give to that is, "Wait, what? Like, I I don't. First of all, I don't believe you. You know, <laughs> like like what? What? Where have we ever seen that before in anything in the world?" Um, other than like land. Uh, but yeah, fixed supply. So the main thing there is there's there's 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be created. Um, and I'm going to try to get into this without like bleeding into some of the other points. The, the problem is they kind of all work together. So um, we might reference and then come back and go back and forth. But um, there's no there's no one person that like can go and change the code of Bitcoin to say, oh, you know what? Now there's there's going to be 40 million Bitcoins instead of 21 million. Um, so that's part of the beauty of the decentralization of Bitcoin is that it makes it nearly impossible to change the supply. Um, the Basically, the only way that Bitcoin's supply could be changed is if... Um, think of it like this way. There's, there's millions and millions of miners around the world, um, that are mining Bitcoin and essentially the, the amount of power that they're using or the amount of Bitcoin that they're mining essentially is called hash rate. And they would have to control 51% of all of the worldwide Bitcoin mining 
and then basically strategically coordinate a um, a development plan and basically change the alter the code of Bitcoin if you controlled fifty one percent of the network. So that's kind of how it could happen. Um, but as I was as I was saying earlier, as Bitcoin has gotten larger and larger, the great thing is you have a lot more people mining Bitcoin, countries mining Bitcoin, companies mining Bitcoin. And so as the network has matured, it's become larger and larger, which essentially makes it safer and safer or like more protected from a 51% attack. Um, that's a really like boiled down version of the 51% attack as well. There, there's a lot of caveats that I can't even get into there, but um, there's ways to undo that and the network can protect itself. But that's essentially, uh, that's the 51% attack and the fixed supply kind of go hand in hand. But um, that's a kind of a general overview. A very quick story that illustrates the opposite of fixed supply. Uh, in 1989, uh, a company called Upper Deck launched. Uh, Upper Deck was a, a baseball a trading card company. And card number one in the Upper Deck series uh, was the King Griffey Jr. rookie card. Uh, so there's a, a publication called Beckett that would, that would tell you sort of roughly what cards were valued at for, I guess, trading purposes. And Beckett valued this card at $75. So it was card number one of a brand new series. Baseball was picking up steam. King Griffey was going to be the, the poster boy. And what people didn't know as they kept paying $75 for this card is that Upper Deck basically just kept printing them. Um, and I don't even know how many, how many of those cards there are. But basically... The fact that they did that, which they should not have done, because they, they never stated how many they actually printed, but they essentially devalued what was sort of a, a prized asset because they kept making them. So, when we talk about fixed supply, uh, it really does it really does matter. Um, also, one thing that we should say here is that many cryptocurrencies don't have a fixed supply. So this is you should not assume. That just because something says it's a cryptocurrency, that it also works like Bitcoin and it also has a fixed supply. Different topic for a different day we could explore. Um, but related to that, Justin, uh, we would say that Bitcoin is also deflationary, meaning it's not inflationary. Why does that matter? Yeah, I mean, that's to me, the huge part about that is just uh, supply and demand, you know, as like the the bitcoin supply does not increase and the demand has been dramatically increasing for the last decade um so just from a simple economic standpoint i love that that's it, it's a huge part of um the value proposition in bitcoin there is um you know not only like you said like they like they can't no one can just decide to just print more bitcoin um but also the fact that you know, there's a lot of Bitcoin that gets lost over the years from people that, um, man, I've, I've read some really fun stories online about, you know, this guy in like London mined, you know, a hundred or like a thousand Bitcoin on his laptop back in 2012. And then like decided it wasn't worth anything and just threw the laptop away. And then like a decade later, he's like going through the dump trying to find this old laptop <laughs> to recover his coins. Um, but there's, you know, people or people pass away and they didn't have their keys in a secure place. They, there's no one that knew they even owned the Bitcoin. So um, that Bitcoin, 
that's not recoverable. It's gone forever. And so that that's also, I guess, another like deflationary aspect of it. Yeah, you mentioned in comparison quickly to land. And, you know, one of the things we sort of should realize is that, you know, real estate and land has value. Uh, obviously, it has sort of utility and beauty and, and desirability, but but there's only a fi- there's a finite amount of it, and once it once it's gone, in theory, it's gone. Um, there's not more land being uh, being created, which gives it a, it's a certain aspect to its its value and why it's valuable. And again, same is true uh, with uh, with Bitcoin. Yeah, one thing quickly as well, currency, and so a lot of times, even in all these inflation discussions we're having right now in the U.S. economy and U.S. government and with the Fed. Uh, inflation is actually uh, designed into the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar was created to be inflationary because a currency, a fiat currency like the U.S. dollar, is created to be circulated. It's not created to be held. And so obviously if they didn't print more dollars, as, as you have more and more people the money wouldn't be able to circulate with the same velocity and that would actually create a weaker economy. So in, in one sense, we shouldn't overly criticize the U.S. dollar for being inflationary because it was designed to be that way. But in the same token or by the same token, Bitcoin was designed to not be that way. And that's on on, on purpose. Yep. Justin, anything else? Uh, the, the third key term was uh, with its Bitcoin is decentralized. So maybe let's unpack that. For a second, I think you've already mentioned why it gives security to the network, but unpack decentralization a little bit. Yeah, so the main thing there is, um, well, first of all, the term decentralization or decentralized is a spectrum, right? So that I think that's the first thing that we have to start with is it's not an it's not a it's not binary. It's not one or zero. Um, like Brandon mentioned earlier, there's there's other coins that have a fixed fixed supply or they say they have a fixed supply well that's all fine and dandy but there's some ceo some sit around somewhere who can easily just change that with the snap of his fingers right so that's a fixed supply but it's not decentralized so the idea of decentralization is there's no one person or centralized authority that can decide um decide to change the network change aspects about it that make it valuable it takes basically the entire world of um of of mining companies and countries to agree hey we want to change it to make it do this and the likelihood of that happening is just basically zero um so the decentralized aspect of bitcoin bitcoin is the most decentralized coin there is and that is its largest strength and that's why uh, it's so unique uh, from like, you know, other things like Ethereum and Solana. Yeah. And even as one that you mentioned, it's perfect money. I mean, one of the cool things to see in Bitcoin, people are called whales that hold, you know, a thousand or more Bitcoin or a hundred or more Bitcoin, whatever the, the number is. But what happens, you know, really every time the price starts going up rapidly, the people with a lot of Bitcoin begin to sell we call that distribution and so people that are new to the market are buying the bitcoin and 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 essentially the phenomenon that's happening is the network is getting more and more and more decentralized because more and more people 
not only do more and more people have Bitcoin, but also basically the, the whales, their, their supply is being sort of diluted or diminished on purpose, right? Because they're selling it. And, and that's the point. Um, but Justin mentioned that, that Bitcoin really was designed uh, perfectly. And that's, it's really cool to see that happen, that this thing is going in the right direction. Uh, and really, that's how it was intended, which I think is, is really awesome. So, Justin, I mean, you know, people might be listening to us talk about Bitcoin and they look at the price and it's, I forget, you know, $37,000 today. Obviously, it's hit $69,000 later last year. They're impressed by it. They see the rapid price movement in 12 years. But if people haven't invested yet, did they miss Bitcoin? I mean, it depends. It kind of depends on what their goal is. Like, okay, if you want 100x your money in the next six months, yeah, you missed Bitcoin. Like, <laughs> that opportunity is gone with Bitcoin. You're not going to do 100x in six months. Um, so maybe you did if, if you have, if your goals are just way too lofty. I, I would tell people though, like Bitcoin, you even alluded to it earlier, it's gone up at an average rate of 200% a year. Now, obviously, as the network grows, the volatility goes down and that that return diminishes, right? So, I, I mean, I don't know where it's going to be in another decade. I know it's not going to go from 200% a year to like underperforming the stock market next year, right? So, um, oh, maybe it only maybe it only performs 100% a year for the next five years. Like, is, does that sound like an opportunity or does that sound like something you missed, you know? So I think if people have patience and they, they take the, you know, they see the bigger picture uh, and they dollar cost average, like we've talked about, no, you didn't miss Bitcoin. Um, you missed some of the crazy volatility of 2012, 2013, 2017. Um, but most people, most people, once they've experienced that type of growth and volatility, they actually don't like it, right? <laughs> They want something a little more stable. So, and not to compare apples to oranges, but there there's a joke in the stock market of, you know, when was it a bad time to buy Apple? When was it a bad time to buy Amazon? Yep. And, and basically, every time you every time you said it's tapped out, it's got to correct. Uh, and maybe for a time it, it did. There actually is a comparison of where Amazon was. I think like twelve to fifteen years ago, from a stock market standpoint, a, a, an asset price standpoint. Uh, where actually the, the current Bitcoin chart looks very, very, very similar. But yeah, it's a, it's interesting. Um, I think I, the thinking, go ahead. I would say, I, on that note, I do think there are more opportune times to buy Bitcoin, right? Like no one wants to buy the top of the tech bubble, even if you're buying Amazon, you know? Like right. no one wants to experience that. Amazon crashed like, I think like 75% or something crazy. Um, so yeah, there's, there's better times to buy or to buy Bitcoin, but I'm talking about if you zoom out, um, you didn't like miss Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. And, and I even think about the fact of, again, with all the, with all of the adoption that's happened, uh, we have a country, El Salvador that, that added Bitcoin to their treasury, but they also made it legal tender in the country. It's one country, right? And so, you know, it's one, it's like saying, 
you know, Apple has built all these really great devices and machines and, and phones, but only only 30% of the world has them. You know, I, don't, I really don't care what the stock price is. Does that sound like opportunity or not? Right. So anyway, I say that to say the adoption, we're not, we're not even, again, we're not even out of the, the first or second inning on where this thing is, is going. So um, let's dive in a little bit more there then. So what... What are some of the big points about exactly well, out of the technical for a little bit? Why why we are exactly so excited about Bitcoin as an asset, um, and why we why we think it's going to be a big deal in the coming years? Justin, what's uh, what's kind of the biggest thing on your on your radar? I think oh, this may be cheating. It's such a broad statement, but like I I just love how. Um, how many problems it solves on a global scale. Um, and we, you know, we talk about this sometimes it's problems that a lot of times, you know, Americans, like we don't even, we don't even realize they exist because our culture and where we're at, where we live, like we just don't, we don't see it. We don't, we're not have exposure to, you know, um, other like smaller countries where, you know, some dictator can, can just, change the money supply like that. And he's, and he's got a death grip on his entire country. Well, situations like that, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin actually contributes to solving them. Right. And that's why, the, that's why some of these countries are pursuing it uh, because it protects the people from, a you know, an abusive government that's just printing like crazy and, and basically controlling the money supply. So I, I think that's a big one to me is it, it solves very real global problems um, that a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people in the world need a stable currency um, and Bitcoin gives them opportunity and easy access to, you know, store value without, you know, having to be in a great banking network area or whatever. So I think that's the big thing for me. Yeah. And it's sort of like you take countries that, um, maybe for whatever reasons would have been more impoverished or, or had, had more difficulty there or would have been oppressed by other countries. But if they, if they were resource rich, right. If they, if they had gold or if they had oil, et cetera, that was really like, a, I mean, in one sense, it's almost like a hedge for them, right. Cause it gives them something of value that the rest of the world says has value that actually is going up in, in, in cost, not going down. Um, and I think Bitcoin, Bitcoin in one sense, I think you made a big statement. I'll make a big statement. It may very well be the first global opt out uh, from a currency standpoint that a citizen of any country in the world that has access to the Internet uh, has. Uh, and so I think of it as a, a global opt out from a currency standpoint. Uh, and the more and more adoption we see, um, you know, that that's not going to decrease. Another another use case, if you will, uh, on remit, remittance payments where people may come to the U.S. to work but send money back to a home country to their family members. I mean, the current remittance process is just, it's almost despicable. How many hands touch that money and tax that money and fee that money before it actually gets to the family? Uh, it, it's almost like, uh, you know, the, the, uh, a worker comes here, does honest labor, sends it back to his family, and they see 50 or fifty or 60% of what was actually sent. 
uh, to use the common phrase, Bitcoin fixes this. And so that's actually one of the things El Salvador has seen is because people in the country have Bitcoin wallets now, they're able to, they're, they're getting money uh, via Bitcoin to their wallet. They can convert if they want to other currencies, but they're getting it in like 15 minutes and no one taxes it. No one touches it. I mean, Bitcoin just fixed a, a, a fairly significant global currency problem. Um, one thing I'd also point out that's really interesting, and we'll talk about Bitcoin as currency for a second, and maybe some mis- misconceptions there, but the transaction volume on Bitcoin actually just passed Visa. So I don't know exactly how many transactions Visa processes, but it was reported that the Bitcoin transaction volume uh, in a certain time frame passed what Visa was doing. Um, so Justin, talk to us about, you know, Bitcoin. I think we thought initially in our conversations, you know, three or four years ago, that Bitcoin making it would be because people were using Bitcoin. Again, grocery store, gas station, uh, supermarket. Fix that. that. That that didn't actually happen, even though we are seeing that kind of volume. Why is that kind of mistaken a little bit? I think... Well, it's mistaken partly because the original vision for Bitcoin was a, you know, if you go back and you read the Satoshi's, you know, the white paper, he actually uses language like this is a peer-to-peer payment, electronic payment system, right? And, and I think the original vision he had, it didn't, it wasn't designed to be used at a grocery store necessarily, but that wasn't like ruled out either. So as Bitcoin has grown and adopted, um, we've we've come to realize oh it it's more valuable in these situations like um you know like like a good example here would be uh, and this is another reason why I absolutely love bitcoin if if you want to start preserving wealth or growing wealth for your family well the probably the biggest way to do that is to just get a mortgage and you buy a home right and then your your equity goes up you build wealth that way through owning assets like home and land. Well, not everyone can do that. Okay. Not everyone can go take out a, a huge mortgage. They don't have access to the right banks or they don't have good credit or whatever, whatever may be keeping them from doing that. Um, maybe the, the cost of living is just like you, you can't afford a decent home, but Bitcoin is a savings technology. Like it allows you to do the, that kind of um, store of value transaction, but in much smaller transactions, right? Um, so I think that's that's a big part of why Bitcoin is valuable. It's not that you're going to go use it at the grocery store to buy bread. Um, that doesn't really make much sense, right? But But if you want to slowly be buying Bitcoin as a way to preserve your wealth instead of keeping it like like you said in cash us dollars is not meant to be a store of value it's designed to be inflationary um so from that aspect it's basically a savings technology that it's the same concept as buying land and homes but on a much smaller scale that's a kind of a comparison i guess i could make yeah some people have called bitcoin digital gold um whether that's the use case or the the comp or not remains to be seen. 
Um, a lot of that, I think people have predicted that Bitcoin will end up um, in a similar place from a market cap, how much is invested in it as, as what gold is. But, but what they also point out is, you know, Bitcoin as a store of value, it doesn't have the inherent problems that gold has. Uh, in other words, you don't have to pay to store it. Like it's not heavy. Also, yeah. I mean, you know, if something costs, you know, 0.26 of an ounce of gold, like what are you going to go do? Like shave it off, <laughs> chip it off, you know, weigh it in, on your kitchen scale. I mean, it, it's ludicrous, you know, and, and Bitcoin, again, Bitcoin fixes that uh and 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 to people that are like right but i can't touch it i can't feel it i mean i got it right i mean we use software every day it's it's an invisible layer in our in our life in our world but bitcoin doesn't have i mean you know utility yes it does it fixes real real problems that um it's not like it's finding problems to fix there are problems that exist that it it does fix and it fixes them in ways that other tools don't so anyway, we could get really passionate about that. But let's talk about for a second, uh, Justin, what kinds of people are buying Bitcoin and maybe quickly, like what's their particular interest in the space? So um, early on, like for the first, let's say, eight years of Bitcoin, it was mostly just uh, retail traders and you know, people like you and me, Brandon, that would buy it because they were watching it or they saw it as whatever they thought it was something that would go up in value um and then as the network has grown and matured it started attracting a lot more wealthy people um you're talking like millionaires and billionaires um that wanted to get exposure to it for a number of reasons you know uh, some of them say they want it as a hedge against inflation um they or they just they want to learn more about the tech and that's their way of diving in. They buy it and they start learning. Um, so retail, the little people like you and me, um, and then wealthier people, um, hedge fund managers now are buying it. Companies are buying it. Tesla, MicroStrategy. Um, there's uh, mass mutuals, insurance company. Like, so companies are adding it to their balance sheets. Um, basically taking a percentage of their cash, and, tr and turning that into Bitcoin uh, just as a hedge. Um, countries, uh, El Salvador is buying buying Bitcoin and adding it to its balance sheet. Um, we mentioned them earlier. Like they they also basically made it uh, retailers in the country uh, accept Bitcoin as a payment option for people, um, and they actually distributed wallets to everyone in the country. So they have like a whole network going on there. Um, and then another big one that's kind of emerging right now is like, uh, cities and states are actually, um, looking into adding Bitcoin to their balance sheets as well. So it's not just companies and people. That's the crazy thing. Like we're talking about governments, uh, and entire cities, um, adding Bitcoin to balance sheets. Um, I was reading recently, uh, Francis Suarez, he's the mayor of Miami, and like they're they're looking at paying out bonuses to um, I guess like city government workers in Miami in like as an option in Bitcoin and actually like paying people in Bitcoin. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of great things happening there, but that's kind of like a wide spectrum of who's buying this stuff. 
Yeah, and I love the fact that again, you know, there's no uh, there, there's no discrimination against this. There's no oh, well, like only a certain number of people uh, have access to it, or you know, take you know a stock that's that's you know Tesla that's six, seven, eight hundred dollars, and you're like the minimum purchase amount is one. So yep. you know, you have to pony up six hundred you know seventy eight dollars to buy one Tesla stock. Uh, maybe it splits and gets cheaper, but the point is, if you have twenty dollars and a cell phone, you can buy twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and I, I think it, it's really an unbelievable innovation and advance. It, it's almost easy to take for granted. Um, so, anyway, it's pretty it's pretty phenomenal. Um, I also like the fact, frankly, that you know, in one sense, the the hedge fund managers, Wall Street. Um, the people with with sort of bigger bigger uh, bigger wallets, etc. They actually were a lot slower to buy Bitcoin for regulatory reasons, and they they had a lot more boxes they had to check. And so, in one sense, it gave average people like you and me, Justin. I mean, basically, time to accrue and stack uh, Bitcoin before they really could get exposure, at least on a on a on a significant um, yeah. level. Want to cover one or two more things here before we before we close out. Justin, does Bitcoin have any weaknesses? We need to we need to to play both sides of the, the fence here. No, no. <laughs> it doesn't. It really doesn't. No, I'm not. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I guess you did say it was perfect money. So now we're going to say it's I, yeah, imperfect money. So, oh man, as I would say this as a store of value, like when you're talking about the use case as a store of value, it certainly doesn't have very many weaknesses. If, if you're talking about, oh, yeah, I want to use this to pay, to buy my bread, like we were saying earlier, yeah, the weakness is it's you got to stand in line for 15 minutes and wait for the thing to, like, confirm. Like, that's not going to work. So as a store of value, I could see the argument that people say the volatility is a weakness. Um, I disagree with that. I actually, like, if you talk to um, larger companies that are buying it, they don't see the volatility as a problem at all. That actually gives them the ability to earn yield, like a higher yield on lending out their bit, their Bitcoin. So um, volatility can be a big, it's a big talking point around weaknesses. I think um, another popular one that I've heard is what if like we have quantum computing happen and like Bitcoin is vulnerable from from a quantum computing aspect um, where quantum computers can like take over the network and yeah, do funny things with it. So that's like a, that's a, I guess like a technology risk you could say that's uh, built into it. I have heard people when they've talked about that though, they're like, okay, if somebody finally unlocks quantum computing, we have a like, the last thing they're going to do is try to go attack the Bitcoin network. Like <laughs> they're going to be able to create any war they want to and control so many things on a global scale. Um, so we have a lot more problems on our hand than the Bitcoin network at that point. But those are two that are popular. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Um, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, again, if, if we if we sort of pigeonhole Bitcoin as, as currency, it introduces a lot of issues, but when you understand it really for what it is, um, again, it has it has a lot of strengths. One one thing I would just I would acknowledge because it it it's true and needs to be understood 
is that I mean, built, Bitcoin is built on top of the internet. So without the internet, Bitcoin doesn't exist, can't exist. Um, and maybe maybe there's some technical reasons why it could, and you could still. But the point is, it, it relies on the internet. But in reality, I mean, so does so does many more companies that that we 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 don't think about it that way, right? But that is a for being honest about weaknesses or threats. Yeah, I mean, if the internet goes down or the internet goes away, Bitcoin's done, right? We don't foresee that happening. Uh, that's not a real threat in one sense, but. Um, but of course, if, if the internet goes down, Uber's done, Facebook's done, Google's done, you know what I mean? You, you understand. Bitcoin is not our biggest problem if we lose the internet. And, and I don't think we're at risk of, uh, of doing that, but that yeah. I think it needs to be said. So Justin, we've talked about a lot of, a lot of stuff. Uh, we, we've, there's a lot more we could say, um, but what, what's a kind of a final parting shot that you want to, you want to give before we, before we head out? I think the um, a big thing I would encourage people to do is read or listen to the Bitcoin Standard. Um, it's a book I think it came out about four years ago, um, but it's a really good book on. Uh, it actually it actually kind of takes you through the history of money, um, how money was created um, a long time ago, uh, why why did the world decide that gold was gold and not platinum or silver or whatever, you know, other metals that they could have um, chosen. But it really helps you understand money from a very unique perspective. Um, and then ultimately, it kind of explains why Bitcoin is what I described it as earlier. The, it's the perfect money. Um, so that that book is an excellent resource. I'd encourage you to read it or listen to it. Um, it'll really help you understand Bitcoin in a really, really good way. That's a great recommendation. I think for me, I like to think about the future. I like to think, you know, macro, big picture, uh, not not so worried about what price is doing today, and what it's going to do by the end of the year. Let's make a big price prediction. Thinking big picture, I, I really do foresee a scenario that Bitcoin is worth, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, three to five hundred thousand dollars, and like you said, it's not it's not going up three x and then dropping by eighty percent, and it's not bouncing all over the place. It's a lot more stable. Think more of like a you know, gold doesn't move very much in ounce. Um, you know, big stocks don't move massive amounts quickly, but people aren't as much trading Bitcoin. They're not buying and selling it. They're leveraging it. And so in one sense, there is a scenario where someone has one Bitcoin, three Bitcoin, five Bitcoin, and they, and they actually never sell it. And what they do is they use it as collateral to get loans. And, and frankly, you say, well, what bank is going to take Bitcoin as collateral? And the answer there is they don't need a bank. Right. They're going to they're use decentralized finance protocols on the internet and, and and the point is it's like a when you start thinking why did, like why would i buy bitcoin and not buy some small market cap thing and i could get you know 1289 of these things instead of 0.001 bitcoin 
part of it is you're not going to be able to, to, to borrow against your pet favorite dog coin necessarily. Um, but Bitcoin is going to have that kind of value. And in many cases, it already, it already does. Yep. So as I think about the future, um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty excited about what, about what Bitcoin brings to the table. So a lot more we can say. Um, hopefully we've given you a few things uh, that we've mentioned in this episode that you can go research on your own and, and really deepen your own understanding. If you want to buy Bitcoin, uh, you can do that again in any amount. Uh, you can use Coinbase, Voyager, Gemini. Uh, you can download Cash App on your phone and and buy it and buy it there in again increments of you know, twenty bucks. So not financial advice. Do your own research. Uh, but anyway, we are we're pretty big Bitcoin fans. Otherwise, we wouldn't really be doing all this. So uh, with that being said, uh, enjoyed the discussion. And uh, until next time, uh, this is Justin and Brandon. We'll talk to you later. For more information, check out our website at blazingcrypto.io. Additionally, if you have friends that are new to crypto, share our trailhead videos from our website, which is a great way to get introduced to crypto.